0: Hey everyone, once again it is time for the Talkin' Tide podcast. I'm Chase Goodbread of NFL.com and Crimson Cover Television. I'm joined in person for this edition of Talkin' Tide by Travis Ryer, the longtime senior analyst at BamaOnline.com and the daily radio host of Southern Fried Sports at 102.9 FM in Tuscaloosa. The Talking Tide podcast available to you and Various formats, including podbean.com, which is our web host. It's where you can get the podcast quickest every time we put one out. You can also get it at various apps, including iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. And be sure to follow the Talkin' Tide Twitter feed as well. The handle is Talkin' underscore Tide. No G in Talkin' and uh we'll alert you through twitter every time we drop one of these. Travis and I talking an NFL draft with this particular edition of the show Travis uh it wraps up on Saturday. Quinn and Williams off the board in the top 5 as expected. The Crimson Tide with 10 total draft picks, Travis the third year in a row that they've had 10 plus picks, which is unprecedented in the common draft era. So uh, another banner day, as all expected, I guess, from Alabama where the draft is concerned.
1: Yeah, we've almost become desensitized to it. And I almost feel like I need to be asking the questions on this edition of Talking Tide because you were in Nashville for essentially a week. It was last Monday that you made your way up to the Music City, uh, the sights, the sounds. Uh, Gosh, I guess first things first, set the scene for (laughs) us there i mean you're talking about what crowds in excess of a combined total of a half million people for three days chase um you know i I think nashville sort of had the reputation going in of you know a smaller market nfl town maybe even more of a college football town but maybe that mix of nashville just booming by the way as a city it's out of control but it is a it is a major league town uh it does have a, a you know, an access to college football, obviously, with the Southeastern Conference right here. Uh, maybe all those things proved to be the perfect storm, because I I, I, I didn't imagine those type of crowds, good Brett.
0: It was insane. There's no doubt about it. 200,000 on Thursday and Friday, to me, was, um, I don't want to say conservative estimate, but I believe it. Uh, and obviously, the crowd was a little on Saturday for rounds four through seven, but you know, they got rain, actually, on Thursday night. And in, in one stretch, there was quite a bit of it. And nobody left. It, it was, they didn't care. They, they were there to have a good time. That's what they had. And, of course, a day later on Friday, weather's perfect. And, of course, with Friday being, you know, not a work day for most people, the, the crowd on Friday rivaled the Thursday crowd all day long. So uh, you had that factor going. Uh, You know, Broadway in Nashville with all the bars and restaurants, live music pumping out of every single one of those places. Uh, you never seen anything quite like it. And then, of course, the streets were just packed. Now, since the NFL draft left New York in 2014, you know, as it used to be done in Radio City Music Hall year after year for a long, long time, Uh, which of course was an indoor venue and it was so small that only a few hundred fans could actually get inside and so when they decided to uh, rove around and put it in different towns they got it outdoors so so that they could get thousands upon thousands of people involved and the difference is this and I was in, you know, they left New York. They went to Chicago for two years. I was I was in Chicago both years. Then they went to Philly. I went to Philly last year. They went to Dallas. I did not go. Uh, this year in Nashville, I was there once again for NFL.com. But I'm going to tell you the difference is this is the first time they've ever they've ever anchored the thing in an entertainment district because yeah. in, in Chicago they they use public parks. Uh, in Philadelphia, they use Franklin Park. Uh, and I wasn't in Dallas last year, but I'm presuming that they used a lot of public space for uh, for Dallas as well. This was this was right on the river, right in the middle of all. I mean, they they just anchored it right in the middle of, of the tourist trap, basically, and it it was insane. You know, they got these public scooters in Nashville now that you can that just get left on the streets, and you can grab yep. one up, push a button, pay a fee or whatever, and off you go on these these little. Uh, electric scooters and uh they don't have breathalyzers on those things <laughs> i noticed travis <laughs> because
1: <laughs> you know i wonder by law though if you can still get DUI'd up on one of those operating uh uh one of those scooters yeah I w-
0: I w- after spending a week in the, in that Na- and on broadway with the nfl draft right there i was wondering how nashville hand- handles injury liability on those things because i saw a handful of drunks take nasty spills on <laughs> it's like a jackass episode or something <laughs> yeah, exactly but
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> how's that for your scene setter? Does that work for you?
1: Well, see, that would have been a problem for me because i would have spent all my time documenting those those falls, those spills <laughs> uh, because the people watching is too good. I would care about the pics the people watching had to be just through the roof especially when you mix in the uh the the scooters like that absolutely i, I would have been just enthralled with that
0: yeah li the libations and, and the scooters and the live music i mean you can't you re, you've got to go off broadway to find a bar or a restaurant that doesn't have a live band uh it, it it's it's a it's a heck of a scene no doubt about it but uh the main stage on Thursday night took very little time for uh, Alabama to crack the board. Quentin Williams goes number three overall to the New York Jets. Not unexpected. Uh, really, I would say the first two days of the draft went pretty unex- uh, pretty much as expected for Alabama players. Travis, you and I talked uh, more than once over the last couple months about the first-round picture for the Crimson Tide. I think you had set the number at 3.5 on the over-under for first-round picks. They come in at 3. Uh, Irv Smith ends up going in the second round, 50th overall. Uh, Jonah Williams, 11th overall. To the Bengals, Josh Jacobs, 24th overall. Uh, to the to the Mike Mayock-led Raider front office. And uh, Irv Smith to the Vikings in the second round. Really... That's a, and Damian Harris to the Patriots uh, in the third round. That could, that's one, two, three, four, five players. Half of Alabama's draft class gone uh, within the first three rounds, and really, that's that's pretty much how the experts drew it up.
1: It was and and, and yeah, those, those first round picks. You you thought that Irv Smith Jr. would kind of be the X factor there if Alabama was going to make it four straight first rounders for a third straight year you figured it had to be irv smith in all likelihood who was going to fill out that quartet didn't play out that well but and you have to like the landing spots for all these guys too i mean for Quentin williams to go number three overall that typically uh translates to a a less than Uh, Good situation in terms of the potential for win-loss, playoffs. But you got Sam Darnold as the young quarterback there with the Jets. You've added Le'Veon Bell at the running back position. You've got now Quinnen Williams to go along with Leonard Williams up front on that defensive line. C.J. Mosley signs with the Jets in free agency. Uh, Jamal Adams at the safety position. Now you're looking at the potential. Yeah, you're still in the same division with the New England Patriots. Um, But you can see a pathway to something more than consistently picking in that top five to seven picks like we've seen from the Jets all too often. I, I think that's a good spot for Quinnen Williams. Jonah Williams going to Cincinnati. Um, you know, obviously Alabama has had tackles go there and do some good things in the past. Andre Smith uh, most recently, it'll be interesting, Chase. I don't know what you were able to gather up there in Nashville in terms of his landing spot, in terms of a, of a position. Do the Bengals see him as a plug-and-play tackle? Do they see him inside at guard? And then Josh Jacobs, you talk about pieces. And Oakland, with all those first-round picks, the Raiders uh, pick up Josh Jacobs. Marshawn Lynch looks like he's done with football. So the expectation for Josh Jacobs obviously going to be to come right in and make a big impact along with uh, uh, Derek Carr there at quarterback, um, Antonio Brown coming in, obviously, from the Steelers. You like where all three of these guys landed, and they went pretty much throughout the different stages of the first
0: round. They did. I I think Jonah Williams going 11 overall by itself tells you that he's starting out at tackle. Uh, if if he slides in right. if he slides into the 20s then you think well maybe that's a club that feels like he's a guard even if they might start him at tackle I think the Bengals do like Jonah Williams as an offensive tackle to get things started uh, whether he stays there long term obviously that remains to be seen for for any of them but I, I think he'll be a tackle in Cincinnati Josh Jacobs you know the Raiders had three first round picks and to get those three first round picks, they traded Khalil Mack and Amari Cooper, to prime talents, and so Mike Mayock, the first-year GM uh, in Oakland, and John Gruden, they they got to hit home runs with these three guys so that they can stand up to the fan base and explain why Mack and Cooper are gone. They end up with Cleveland Farrell at number four overall from Clemson, who was probably
1: a few eyebrows. At four, no doubt, raised a few eyebrows because Chase, you know this. If I'm an Oakland Raider fan, I'm saying so. Basically, you're saying Cleveland Farrell for Khalil Mack.
0: That's eh? he better produce.
1: He's an edge edge defender. Yep. Um, he better impact the, the pass rush like a Khalil Mack did. I, I don't, you know, did Khalil Mack Khalil Mack went in sort of that top five range, right? Right. To the Raiders. Um, so yeah, the parallels are going to be drawn, right or wrong. Um, but it seemed like your boy Mayock really loved him some Clemson in Alabama uh in in, the, in this draft.
0: Yeah, I think they got more than they got a couple of Clemson guys and and they end up with Jacobs at 24. They end up with Jonathan Abram from Mississippi State at 27. That was the other first round pick. I like pick. that
1: pick. Yeah. Physical
0: guy. Uh tone setter. I think uh he can intimidate some people. He he's he's a little Adams like almost to me. Although I think Adams is a little bit better in coverage. But at any rate, uh, Irv Smith, second round, 50th overall to the Vikings. Got Kirk Cousins throwing him balls. Uh, So he's got the quarterback situation taken care of. Uh, A good spot for him. Nice to see him and his dad uh, share a pretty special moment after after he got selected. Irv Smith Sr., of course, a former New Orleans Saint. And uh, Harris to the Pats, round three. You almost can't be surprised at any Alabama guy getting picked by New England, can you?
1: You can't. Um, Irv Smith, Jr., uh, interesting with Kyle Rudolph there in Minnesota as uh, not only a longtime piece of that offense, but a captain. Uh, But it sounds like Kyle may be making too much cash. So uh, it could be that, that it is Irv Smith, Jr., uh, as early as this season, that is the prime, uh, primary tight end uh, in that Vikings offense. And by the way, um, Kirk Cousins doesn't have a problem checking it down, so not a bad place to be if you're a tight end uh, for Irv Smith Jr. And, yeah, Damian Harris, you know, you like that youthfulness of that Patriots running back position now with Sony Michelle from last year. You add Damian Harris to that mix. They like their backs to catch the football, as we've seen from James White and others, Chase. And that's something I think Damian Harris, a little bit untapped in terms of that aspect of his skill set at Alabama, saw a little bit more of it this past season, uh, but I think he fits in nicely there. Uh, and, and a really, really probably undervalued pass protector. And we know as long as Tom Brady's there in New England, and you're a back. If you're not catching it, you damn sure better be able to pick up a blitz.
0: I think Damien Harris's ability to to excel in pass pro is a big reason why he went here to New England. And you know he's a he's an aggressive one cut north south kind of runner. You know Bill Belichick's going to appreciate that. And they got to keep Brady upright. I, I think Damien Harris is going to walk in from day one and give him better pass pro than Sony Michelle will. Uh, may not make him the best pass pro back on the roster, but he won't be the worst by far. And you know, it, it's it, it's tough on these running backs to ever become a star, especially in a situation like New New England rotates backs. They all rotate backs. New England really rotates backs, so it's tough for any of these guys to go to New England and 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 develop into. You know, some kind of some kind of monster star at that position, but it is a good spot for Damian Harris. I think he'll see some uh, some quick action in New England, no doubt about it. So, uh, as we said, top five players for Alabama off the board, pretty much as most people thought. Things didn't really start getting shaken up, uh, and and you know there weren't a lot of surprises until day three, which was on Saturday. Uh, We're going to get to day three of the NFL draft and also chat a little bit about these undrafted free agents uh, on the other side of a couple of sponsorship thank yous. We'll start that now. I want to thank North River Dental Associates for helping keep Talking Tide. On the air, uh, Dr. Jack Smalley, of course, has been running things over there for a long time. Him and his staff do a fantastic job for all of your dental needs, your family's dental needs. Get over there, see them twice a year like you're supposed to, and they will have you in and out on a routine cleaning in less than an hour. If you need more advanced dental care, they've got all the latest technology over there at North River Dental Associates. The phone number, 752 Three five zero six, Or you can go to NorthRiverDentist.com on the web for an appointment. They're located at 1100 Fairfax Park, right off of McFarland Boulevard as you go toward Northport. Hard to beat it for sure. It's Dr. Jack Smalley and North River Dental Associates.
1: I'm going to tell you about Mercedes-Benz of Tuscaloosa out there at 3200 Skyland Boulevard East. Look, you don't have to go to Atlanta. You don't have to go up to Nashville, site of the 2019 NFL draft. You don't even have to go to Birmingham. If you're in the market for an automobile, either new or certified pre-owned, specifically a Mercedes-Benz product right here in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. You're going to find the very best selection of both new and certified pre-owned. Again, options for you. 3200 Skyland Boulevard East, that's where you're going to find Mercedes-Benz of Tuscaloosa. But you can go to mercedes of Tuscaloosa.com right now and check out the entire inventories that sits on the lot today. That's right, mercedes of Tuscaloosa.com. A few keystrokes on that laptop, that smartphone, that iPad of yours, and you're going to be able to check out the very best selection of automobiles in the Tuscaloosa area. Mercedes of Tuscaloosa.com first, then make your way to 3200 Skyland Boulevard East for the very best in selection, sales, and service after the sale. It is Mercedes Benz of Tuscaloosa.
0: All right, the Talking Tide podcast rolls on. It's available again at our web host, podbean.com, also iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Hit us on that Twitter feed as well, the handle talking underscore Tide. And we will dive right in right now to the final day of the NFL draft. It was held on Saturday, kicked off at, at uh, noon. And, uh, Travis, five more Alabama players go off the board on the final day of the draft, giving Alabama a total of 10. I mentioned earlier it's the first time in the common draft area that any school has ever put Ten plus players in the NFL drafts in three straight years. They had twelve a year ago. The year before that, it was ten. So that's thirty-two guys over a three-year stretch. It's pretty. I mean, there's it's it's something the likes of which we may not see again by the time it's all done. But uh, a, a few surprises on day three. Things went, as we said, as predictable on days one and two. On day three. First Alabama player off the board is Christian Miller. Fourth-round pick of the Carolina Panthers. He goes 115 overall. Uh, Nobody had Christian Miller getting drafted ahead of Mack Wilson. I don't think many would have thought he'd go ahead of Deontay Thompson even. Uh, I I felt like there was a chance that that he'd go undrafted, and and, uh, no. Carolina says, we we want this guy in the fourth round. Uh, They liked him a lot. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see uh, how he's able to get after the quarterback at the next level. Not the biggest guy in the world. The size, I think, travels will be his, his biggest challenge out of the gate.
1: I think value of the position probably helped Christian Miller a lot there in the middle rounds, right, Chase? He is a edge pass rusher, first and foremost. You're right. In terms of power, converting speed to power, I think that's going to be – where he's going to have to make his biggest move. But as far as get off and and that first step and and being dynamic in that regard, I think Christian Miller has some of that. So the the Panthers probably see a guy very early on. He can be a situational pass rusher off the edge uh, in some obvious passing situations. He can help out on pretty much all of your special teams. I think Damian Harris is going to be that kind of guy, by the way, also for the Patriots early on in his career. Um, but very impressive, uh, kind of a kind of a hometown guy, uh, you know, more from South Carolina than the Charlotte area, but neighboring there, um, for, from where Christian hails from. Um, but impressive, considering especially Chase and you know this, this was a guy who was still getting over a hamstring pull early on in the draft process. Right, he wasn't able to participate, I think, in Senior Bowl week. Missed out on some in, important. Sort of mile markers, didn't he? Yeah, and and and, uh, and and with the limited sample
0: size of really tape that he has, too. I think he was made. limited in Indy. Yeah,
1: I mean, he, he had, you know, he had some nice tape, but Christian Miller was more of a guy who had to wait three or four years to really make his his presence felt, uh, because he did show up at Alabama somewhere in the neighborhood of two hundred five, two hundred ten pounds. He had to get to a point physically just where he could play in the SEC. So that's going to continue to be the question, but I give the guy a ton of credit for the limited amount of of tape that he had in production. Um, Had a a big year this year, this past season as we know, before the hamstring injury against Oklahoma, but then to sustain that injury and miss out on some important dates uh, in the draft process, uh, all the props in the world to Christian Miller because I'm with you. I didn't have him going in the fourth round, let alone ahead of, say Deontay Thompson, maybe Mac Wilson, although we talked about Mac Wilson. In terms of a guy that could go from the second round to where he went, it may be the most intriguing prospect, not only from the Alabama contingent, but in this draft as a whole. But, uh, yeah, good for Christian Miller uh, landing there in Charlotte with the Carolina Panthers.
0: Speaking of the fourth round, Quinnen Williams' older brother, Quincy Williams from Murray State, gets picked in the fourth round. Maybe the biggest surprise of the entire draft for him to go at that spot. He goes to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, I I talked to some scouts in December when I was writing a long form on Quinnen about him, and a couple of uh, expert draft analysts as well who talked to more scouts and higher-level scouts than I do, and... No one had even heard of the guy uh, in December, at least of, of the people I spoke with. Doesn't mean the whole league didn't know about him, but uh, and, and not to be not to belabor a, a pick from Murray State for too long. But it goes to show that things get crazy on day three every year. Day three never goes like anybody thinks it's going to go.
1: Well, uh, uh, Quincy actually he went third round.
0: Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's he went right. He
1: day two. He went late day two, but he went day two. And, and you're right. I, I think that was that that caught a lot of people off guard. And I remember you talking about Quincy Williams and, and that this guy was a really productive player. Um, down in Jacksonville, I think they're kind of wondering what's the deal with Telvin Smith maybe moving forward. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, when you talk about just from a measurable standpoint, Quincy Williams doesn't really check a lot of the boxes. I think he's listed, what, 5'10", 240 pounds. So, uh, Tom Coughlin, Dave Caldwell, you know, that evaluation staff, that front office in Jacksonville obviously saw something in Quentin's big brother.
0: Yeah, you, good catch there. He did go third round instead of fourth. He went on Friday night and uh, uh, took just about everybody by surprise. Elsewhere on day three for Alabama, I guess Mac Wilson will turn to him next. Fifth-round pick to the Cleveland Browns, 155th overall. Uh, of all of Alabama's draft picks, you got to think he was probably the most disappointed. Uh, he was projected by a lot of people to go on day two, which would have made him a second- or a third-round pick. Uh, it didn't happen for him. Then when he gets to day three, uh, he, he, he slid another round at that. So some concerns about him as a pro. I reached out to uh, an NFL executive in the middle of the draft, around the middle of the fourth round, when it looked like he was starting to slide pretty bad, and and just asked him, you know, what's the what's the deal here? And and the answer I got back was was intangibles in in, que- in question with Mac Wilson. And that's just one club out of thirty-two. Maybe maybe the other thirty-one. Uh, saw it a different way, but def- uh, fair enough to say he didn't quite have the draft stock that the people around him convinced him of.
1: No, and that was to the biggest detriment, obviously, of Mac Wilson. And now, unfortunately for Mac, a lot of those same people are going to be looking for what they want out of Mac Wilson as a pro. You know, this, the same people that supposedly had his best interests at heart and. There's been some talk about feedback from Nick Saban in t- terms of Mac Wilson with NFL scouts. Look, the film from 2018 says everything. Right. Nick Saban knows what kind of year Mac Wilson had. And you know what else Nick Saban knows? He knows that NFL people that turn on the tape no. know what kind of year Mac Wilson had. So Nick Saban's going to tell them something that's totally contradictory to the tape? Of course, he isn't. Um, so, there so, there really wasn't anything, anything that, that Nick Saban say. could say Nick that could sort of turn Mac Wilson's stock more towards forward. the top of the draft rather than the bottom end. And, you know, Nick obviously wasn't uh, a proponent, a supporter of Mac Wilson coming out this year. Um, but, you know, Mac falls to Cleveland there in the fifth round. He'll have a chance maybe as a situational linebacker early. Uh, as far as intangibles go, I translate that to mean chase want to. How much does the game mean to Mac Wilson at the end of the day? Well, you know what? We'll find out early on in his career. Because if you're covering kicks in the NFL to make a paycheck, if that's the determination early on in your career whether or not you stick. We'll find out how much you want to play. And there. Of fifth round picks
0: who find themselves in that situation, they can't, st- they're not good enough or they're not developed enough or ready to start, but they're athletic enough to get thrown on a kickoff team, get thrown in as a gunner on punt coverage or what have you. And that's where you got to make that's where you got to start and make your living.
1: Ironically enough, though, one of the most memorable moments of Mac Wilson's career at Alabama was doing what
0: speeding oil, speeding oil, yeah, right.
1: So hey, maybe Mac Wilson will do just fine covering Speedy, kickoffs in Cleveland.
0: Speedy doesn't think Mac yeah. was a fifth round Speedy, pick.
1: Speedy thought uh, Mac's mm-hmm. intangibles were just fine.
0: <laughs> no question. No question. Mac Wilson, uh, one fifty five overall to the Cleveland Browns. Elsewhere, uh, Deontay Thompson, fifth round to the Arizona Cardinals. Ross Piercebacher, fifth round as well to the Washington Redskins. The Redskins, who've got a plethora of Alabama players on their roster. Most of them, however, on the defensive side of the ball. A little surprising they didn't take a defensive player, I guess, in this class. But uh, but they take the interior offensive lineman from the Crimson Tide in Piercebacher. And Isaiah Bugs goes... Uh, sixth round, the final Alabama player selected one ninety two one ninety two overall to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Bugs is a Steelers kind of player, Travis. I, I, that made yeah. a lot of sense to me. They they don't they'll take a guy like Isaiah Bugs who they know can play on first and second down, and it, it, he. It, they're not going to ask him to, to, to ring up a bunch of sags. He's going to play a role, and he and, and he's going to be hell on people to run on to his side. That's what they're going to ask him to do. That's a good spot for him.
1: It is, and plus his old position, Coach Carl Dunbar, there in Pittsburgh now. Uh, that's to his benefit, no doubt about it. Deontay Thompson, second half of the season, you talk about not so good tape, probably didn't have enough good tape uh, really after Ole Miss. Of last season for Deontay had a really solid year um still came out as a redshirt junior Uh, you combine that with boy an injury at really the worst time right in the draft process and I've said it before unfortunately for these guys like Deontay Thompson they get into the draft process after declaring and in in football once you declare you're in you it's over whereas in the NBA you've got guys right now that have entered the NBA draft process They can go for, really, just about another month of this and then withdraw and go back to school. How much would that have benefited, that type of rule for Deontay Thompson, given what happened to him from an injury standpoint? But you combine those couple of things, and uh, Deontay slides to the fifth. Um, What about Pierce Baker? Is he, you think, kind of going into the NFL, is he kind of a parallel to a Barrett-Jones maybe from previous years you think he's kind of viewed as that guy maybe he can play guard maybe he can play center you know be an extra you know interior player for you from a depth standpoint uh and like barrett jones right played a ton of football at alabama
0: yeah, no shortage of experience for Pierce Bacher for sure. He's he he can play center, he can play guard. The Redskins you, know, you only you only carry seven offensive linemen usually on Sunday, so you you can only that means you can only get away with maybe one or two guys who can't move somewhere else. Uh, everybody else has got to be able to slide somewhere. Pierce Spocker, an interior guy, who who I would expect to stick in Washington. Thompson, as for him, yeah, fifth round, definitely not what he was looking for. Not being able to run the 40 yard dash at all, I think it hurt him. Uh, he he injured that wrist. He was never able to get it right. He was hoping to come back on April second, uh, for a makeup pro day, and wasn't able to do it. Didn't get the wrist healed well enough in time for that. I wonder with Deontay Thompson, and, and I don't know the answer to this question, but you know now they've got these junior pro days where a handful of underclassmen uh, around pro day time, either right before or right after pro day, will run for scouts and do some of these things for scouts so that the scouts can get a 40-yard dash, maybe a vertical, the height, the weight, uh, you know the the hand, the arm, all the measurements, and and a few of the uh, a few of the agility drills, et cetera. But it's not like every junior does that. It's usually just a few select guys who were chosen uh, for that. I wonder if Deontay Thompson ran for scouts back in in the spring before his last year. Uh, around when everybody a year ahead of him was doing their their regular pro day. I'm going to guess, well, I don't know if he did. I I don't even know if I want to guess. But I'll say this, if he did, if he was one of those guys as an underclassman who ran for scouts in the spring that year, I guess this would have been spring of 2018 I'm talking about. No, 2017 I'm talking about. Uh, Well, then at least you got if you're a scout, at least you got a baseline. It's an old time, but it's a time. Uh, Whereas if he wasn't one of those guys, and maybe he wasn't, uh, then then you you got nothing in uh, in terms of a time. And at that at that position, especially the free safety spot where you're going to be wanting the guy to roam and and you know run people down, uh, uh, you know run down breakaways and whatnot. That's that's a it's a big deal.
1: Yeah, I would think he, he would have run uh, during that time frame that you outline for a couple of reasons. First of all, he was coming off a college football playoff performance that was pretty impressive. You remember Hootie Jones was injured um, going into that playoff with Clemson and Georgia, so Deontay Thompson was sort of thrust into a pseudo-starter role, as we know, as much nickel and dime as they play, specifically with Deontay at that point in time, it was more about the dime, right? Um, yeah, I, I would think they had some point of reference. Would have been eighteen. Sort of to, would have been
0: twenty eighteen.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah, it would have been before. It would have been in the heading into the spring of twenty eighteen. Right, yeah, no doubt
0: about it. All right, uh, real quickly before we get out of here on this edition of the Talking Tide podcast, uh, a quick look at some of the undrafted free agents and where they landed, Travis. Uh, Savion Smith ends up with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Jamie Mosley joining Brother CJ with the Jets as an undrafted free agent. Hale Hinches ends up with a, a deal with the Indianapolis Colts. And Lester Cotton, uh, who did not get a combine invite, by the way, uh, ends up landing with the Oakland Raiders. I'll put you on the spot, Travis. Out of Cotton, Savion Smith, Jamie Mosley, and Hale Hinches. Handicap, the, the, the most likely guy to stick on a roster there, in your opinion.
1: Well, I'm going to go hell hinges, uh because teams carry more than one, two tight ends. Uh, and looking at the Colts specifically, I mean, Eric Ebron had a really good season in 2018. Um, and, and so you're thinking that
0: – Eat your heart and, out, Lions fans.
1: Yeah, he, he's there. But the second tight end with the Colts, Jack Doyle, had a hip injury uh, early in the 2018 season. And there's some concern about his ability um, to come back and return to previous form. So, you know, Hinch is more as that extra tight end, that inline blocker, maybe a guy that can help on a couple of the special teams unit, high character guy. You know what you're going to get from him day in and day out. Um, I'm probably going to go with Hale Hinchis as the favorite of those four guys. Savion Smith will be interesting because I want to see how the Jags plan to evaluate him. You know, is he just a corner in the, in the eyes of the Jags? Is he a guy that maybe can play some safety? Um, versatility, as you know, in the, in the defensive backfield. The, the more you can do, the, the far better off your chances are of making a team. So, those would be the guys I'd probably have one, too. Uh, as for Lester Cotton, from what I've heard, I give the guy a lot of credit for a guy, as you said, didn't have a combine invite. He didn't He didn't take that as, as such a discouragement that he didn't put a lot of effort into his training. Um, he worked hard. He got ready for his pro day, had a really solid pro day, and was rewarded with a, a free agent look by the uh, the Raiders. And, and Mosley, um, you know, Jamie is is probably just a camp guy, maybe. I think for Jamie Mosley, the goal is just to get to camp. Uh, but you would think with C.J. there, uh, there would be a good chance of, of that happening. And look, Jamie Mosley's great dude, so you're happy for him to get an opportunity of any kind.
0: Yeah, Lester Cotton's is, is the one that I would say. And, look, they're probably all long shots. But I would think Lester Cotton might have the best shot of it. Here's what I think was going to happen with Lester Cotton. I think he's going to get stowed on that practice squad. And I I think he's going to – because, look, the issue with him at Alabama – was never about his physical ability to move somebody in front of him from point A to point B. He's plenty big and plenty physical to play in the NFL. It's the mental side of the game where he struggled a lot at Alabama. I think he when he gets to Oakland and they see what he can do when he just has to line up and maul somebody, they're going to they're not going to want to cut him. And then when he, you know, he's he's going to he's when they see the mental errors, I think the, the, the response, not only just by Oakland, by, but by whoever happened to pick him up, is going to be, well, let's go ahead and stick him on the practice squad, give him a year, see if he can work out these kinks you know, with these issues in the middle part of the game. If he can, and he comes back in year two, maybe a different player and, and, and maybe somebody that can, that, can, that can help us.
1: Not a guy who you're going to get center. Reps out of Mm -hmm. which is important, as you know, as you just talked about, you carrying seven guys on Sunday. Yeah, those two backups you're looking at a guard tackle type and a center guard type, right? Those are your two supporters. Well, we never really saw Lester Cotton play meaningful snaps at tackle, but he was a tackle early, early on in his UA career, so he does have a little bit of a background at that position. I don't think he can. He can sustain over a long period of time at tackle, but just as a depth provider, if you absolutely had to throw him in there, maybe you could get 10 snaps out of him. But, yeah, he's he's going to have to really assert himself as that mauler type, especially in the ground game, because he is a guard. Yeah. He's not a guard center. It's a stretch to think he's a guard tackle, so he better kick some serious butt uh, in the run game especially as a as – a, Really, just stand alone guard.
0: They need to put his locker right next to Gabe Jackson and, yeah. and tell him to just follow Gabe Jack wherever he goes, because that, yeah. that's the same kind of player, but he's a star. So
1: you know, and sometimes that light magically goes on better for guys once a paycheck <laughs> is involved. It's amazing how that happens. Yeah, when it becomes a true livelihood. Yeah, uh, and that comfort level sort of goes out the door. Sometimes guys respond. Uh, really positively to that. Yeah,
0: G- Gabe Jackson's everything Lester hopes he can be. I remember I remember going to an SEC media day's years ago when uh, Bernardrick McKinney was representing Mississippi State, and at that time Gabe Jackson was Gabe Jackson was a guard, so he he, he wasn't at SEC media days, but I asked McKinney about him because I knew he was a heck of a draft Right, G- Bernardrick McKinney said when Gabe Jackson gets his hands on you, he said it's over.
1: <laughs> it's over. also referred to as meat hooks
0: yeah so there you go that's going to do it for this edition of the talking tide podcast thanks for joining us uh we're going to podcast again roughly on every once every couple weeks throughout the summer and next time there's some uh, significant news in Alabama athletics. We will fire it up once again. Thanks for joining us for Travis Ryer of BamaOnline.com and Southern Fried Sports Radio. I'm Chase Goodbread of NFL.com and Crimson Cover Television. We'll talk to you next time right here on Talking Tide.